Welcome to Voices of Indianapolis, where we explore the narratives of innovators, collaborators, and communicators shaping our city. I'm Jeff Edge, your host on this journey. Join us as we uncover their strengths, glean insights into their views of Indianapolis, and unravel the qualities that make them exemplary role models. Through candid conversations, we aim to illuminate their impactful projects, collaborations, and communication efforts that are propelling our community forward. Together, we'll celebrate these influencers, fostering inspiration and dialogue to forge a stronger, more united Indianapolis. Volunteer with the Irvington Historical Society. I have been volunteering with them since 2016, and that's when I moved to Irvington. So first, does everybody know where Irvington is? No, okay, so that would probably be an important thing to know. Do you know where Giacomo's Pizza is on Washington Street? Do you know where, um, what are some other things in Irvington that people might have visited? Somebody's visited Irvington. The Irving Theater. The Irving Theater for shows. You live there? So you know where it is. Um, Ellenberger Park, maybe you've been to an event there at some point. You may not all be golfers, but there's the Pleasant Run Golf Course. Maybe you've driven by that on Arlington. You've been there? So that's Irvington. What else? So it's a neighborhood like others. Oh, all the fun stuff. The Pinsy Trail. So if you go to Washington Street, Arlington Avenue, Ritter Avenue, 10th Street, uh, goes the boundaries are really something like Arlington to Emerson and 10th to really Brookville. So now I'm gonna challenge you to go explore sometime, maybe over the weekend or the next month and drive around with your family, see if you can find Irvington if you haven't been there. You may have heard of the historic Irvington Halloween Festival. It's on October 28th, so if you haven't been there, that would be a great day to check it out, too. There's a picture of the Halloween Festival. Okay, so it is about three miles from where you are east of you. But back to our museum, one thing that's interesting about our museum or unique about our museum, we are completely run by volunteers. Do you all know what a volunteer is? People who do something they love and they don't get paid to do it but you usually meet other people who enjoy similar things to you and you learn something along the way or contribute something to your community. So our museum is open on weekends, Saturday and Sunday, one to four. It is free to visit and it is free to park on the street outside the museum. So Saturday and Sunday, one to four, feel free to visit. Why is it only open on weekends? Because we are run by volunteers. Most of us work during the day and then we do something we love and contribute to our community on the weekends. So maybe you'll be able to visit us sometime. Now, what do we have at our historical society? It is a museum. We mostly have exhibits related to art and history, but we also tell stories of the east side of Indianapolis. So if you're there in the museum, the first thing you're gonna notice is well, as you approach the building, it's a big old building. It has houses built all around it. So a lot of people wonder, well, I mean, what is the building? And it looks closed a lot of the week because we are only open on weekends. That building was built to be Butler University's library in 1903 because Butler University, which is north of Indianapolis, used to be in Irvington for just over 50 years. 
So first it was Northwestern Christian University. It was at 13th and College, more toward downtown, and that is why College Avenue is called College Avenue, because Butler was there, but it was Northwestern Christian University. Irvington, the neighborhood, was founded in 1870, and one of the things they did was try to get the college to move to the neighborhood. They wanted to be a college town. So they gave land to the university for them to move to Irvington, and they renamed the college Butler when they did that after one of their founders. So from 1875 to 1928, Butler University was in Irvington. So Irvington was very much a college town, and they needed a library. So. Um, it is the only building that is still standing that was part of the Butler campus. Uh, houses have been built on the rest of the campus. There is still a building from that time, and that would be the Benton House. That was the president's home where Mr. Benton lived. And there are some other houses around it that were frater fraternity or sorority houses. Um, but it is the only official building that's left. There's your Benton House picture. That's where the Butler president lived. I love the internet, how you can find all the stuff immediately. Yeah, amen. So the building was built to be the library. The Thompson family, their daughter had attended Butler. I also learned something that, say in the 1870s, early 1900s, you know, you didn't just get in your car or take the bus to school. So families would move to Irvington so that their children could attend college. I was like, wow, that's kind of, I never would have thought of that. So the Thompson family moved from Edinburgh, Indiana to Irvington just so that their daughter could attend college. Sadly, she died young right after graduating, soon after graduating. And so her parents gave the land and the money to build the library. And it's named after her, the Bonna Thompson Memorial Library. It's not a library anymore, now it's a museum. So there she is. She was painted by T.C. Steele, an Indiana artist. So it's also unique to have a building named after a woman. Not as many buildings are named for women in Indianapolis. So if you come see the museum, when you come in, look at the floor, because it has the original tile that has the library symbols for a library and for Butler. And it also at that time when the library was built, you didn't just go to the library and pick up the book you wanted. You went to a desk and asked the librarians to get the book for you, and then you took it into a reading room, and that's where you would look at the materials. So you can still see a little bit about how it was a library, but it's the perfect home now for our museum. It's three floors, and we have art and history displays. So I can tell you a little bit about how we what kind of things we keep at our museum, because if we're trying to tell the story of the east side of Indianapolis and specifically Irvington, and Irvington's been around since 1870, that gives us a lot of years and a lot of history to cover. Museums have artifacts. Does anybody know what an artifact is? Like exhibits? They make, exactly, yes, artifacts make up exhibits. So artifacts are physical objects that you can touch, except in museums, usually you can't touch, right? Go ahead. So yeah, it's like the, the physical things, maybe things you have in your house, maybe things that were in a business, maybe things that were outdoors, but they're things that we can display. Museums usually collect and store a lot of artifacts that 
aren't actually on display that they're keeping for either a future exhibit or maybe they're too fragile to display the way they are. So most exhibits, you know, most museums have exhibits that change over time and we do as well. We have permanent exhibits like the International Harvester exhibit. International Harvester was a manufacturing plant on Brookville Road. It employed generations of families that lived in Irvington and they made all kinds of equipment. So they were also a huge economic force in the neighborhood. They employed a lot of people. The building no longer exists. An exhibit like this that has huge pieces of equipment that aren't very easy to move and those are expensive pieces to collect that have been donated to us. A lot of things in museums are donated to us. Um, so that's a permanent exhibit. It's not going to change very often. We can change out some of the pieces, but the exhibit itself is going to stay. And at the right is a uniform that a woman would have worn there because they did employ men and women. Now other exhibits change, so we can change them about every three months, say. So if you visited every three months, there would at least be something new to see. And the two main exhibits on our entry floor, those change between art and history. Right now there's an exhibit about the Irvington group of artists, and those would be artists that lived a long time ago. And the other gallery is current contemporary Irvington artists that live in the neighborhood that are displaying their work. Um, we would also have in the exhibits sometimes documents. That's something that's hard to display because if I have a piece of paper or a newspaper article or it could be someone's will that they left um, saying how their property would go to their family. It could be um, an abstract is something that if you own a house there was an abstract that told everybody that had owned your house previously. A lot of those don't still exist because as the house was sold, that didn't always get passed on. But if people have those, we scan them and keep them so we have a digital copy so that other people can use those for research as well when they're looking at information about their house. We talked a little bit about art. So being a college town, it also, Irvington also attracted writers and academics and artists and just it was an interesting group of people that kind of flocked to live in Irvington because Butler was there. So there were a lot of artists in the area. If you go to New Fields, the Indianapolis Museum of Art, you might hear about the Hoosier group. Well, there was also the Irvington group. Some artists were in both. Um, you can see their art in other museums as well. Sometimes we just have an interesting story to tell. Maybe we don't have an artifact or a document or a piece of art, but through research we can find family stories that we want to tell, and we try to do that as well. And then we just continually do more research. It is great that a lot more things are online because even for us to find information, we have to spend time to do that. So many more things are available online digitally that make our research more complete when we can find more information. Some people visit us to learn about genealogy. They want to learn specifically about their very own family. And other people learn just to, or visit just to learn about the area. As people move into the neighborhood, they often have questions about their own house history. And that would be knowing who had lived in your house before. So our executive director at this point has spent decades looking up information to document who lived in Irvington. 
this is something that's very exciting when somebody visits and he can show them a lot of information and share that with them. Sometimes we have a photo of what the house used to look like in prior years, but with city directories and other information, he can pull together a list of who lived in the house, but also city directories often told what somebody's occupation was. So sometimes that's fun to see who lived in your house before you did, but what did they do for work? Irvington has a lot of old houses from the 1870s till today. That means people spend a lot of time renovating their houses. And when they do that, sometimes they find stuff in the floor or the wall or the yard and they bring it to us so that we can maybe tell them what it is. Maybe they don't know what it is. Or sometimes it just shows something interesting about the house, an old wrought iron fence that's no longer there. Maybe they find a piece of that or detail from the house that is no longer visible that was once there or something about the family. I mean, it could be broken dishes or jewelry. A lot of people find marbles in their floorboards when they do them. People have found rings and they ask us if we can help identify any information because rings sometimes have um, an insignia, a picture or engraving and we can help interpret what that might have meant at the time. Um, they usually keep the jewelry though instead of donating to us but we do have a case in the in the lobby by the stairway that is just things people have found in or on their property that sometimes uh, one of the things people found old theater tickets so that was fun used to people also had ice delivered to their house so there is a place in Irvington on Ritter called Coal Yard Coffee it was also an ice house they delivered at in past years ice to your house you didn't have a refrigerator you got a block of ice delivered there are lots of little old coupons that is how you bought or paid for your blocks of ice from the ice house so sometimes people find those in the walls and the floors too so even if you don't live in Irvington do any of you know what year your home was built is that information that you're aware of 1913 so that's pretty old have you ever found anything interesting around your house not yet. 1917? 1917? My, my, my family's house is 130 years old. So that's quite old. Go ahead. I don't know when my house was built, but um, <clears throat> like in the cabinets and stuff, it's like they include old newspaper recipes and stuff and how to clean. Okay. It's kind of weird. So you might find something that was important to them. They saved those. They wanted to keep them. Maybe it's a recipe that they used a lot. Or sometimes you might find newspapers in the wall. They used them as insulation, too. Oh, don't think that would be good. So our house is probably one of, like, I feel like that is probably the only one in the Pacific neighborhood that has been modeled in. Okay. So I noticed that in one of the houses across the road has some of the same models of windows. Mm-hmm. Like, even one of the same type of arches. Yes, I, when the house next door to me was for sale, of course I went to walk through the house, right, and see what it looks like. It's almost exactly like my house because when they built houses, they used a lot of the same windows or the same hardware, the same doorknobs, the same locks. So what was available to them, what was fashionable at the time, is what got used. So often you can find houses that are very similar to yours, and that could also help you figure out the date your house was built, maybe, if you're trying to figure that out. 
So I was going to tell you just a few things that that we've exhibited or things that have happened. It, um, if that's okay, does anybody have any other any other questions about anything so far? Yes. So you mentioned that typically people donate stuff to the museum. Is there ever a situation where the museum buys stuff? So that's a great question. So about donations to the museum or do we buy things? Since we are a museum completely run by volunteers, we also don't have a large budget. Larger museums absolutely would have an acquisitions budget and would have goals of things they want to acquire. We don't have a large budget. So we might have things we want to acquire. Usually one of our key volunteers or donors would buy that piece for us and donate it to the museum if it's something that we as a group are wanting to collect. Um, one of the things that you saw right here, um, Abe Martin, that book that was kind of red plaid. Abe Martin is a character that was drawn by Ken Hubbard. Ken Hubbard lived in Irvington. That character is set in Brown County. If you go to the Brown County State Park, it's the Abe Martin Lodge, and the cottages there have other characters on them. While now that looks like maybe kind of a silly cartoon, like that was in the newspaper for decades. It was a really popular cartoon. For years and years and years, it was in the paper. There was only like one day in decades that he didn't publish his cartoon, and that was because he had a family tragedy that day. So it, he was a prolific artist and a very popular cartoonist. Um, so some of our volunteers helped acquire several of his books because he also published a lot of books so that we would have the ones that were missing in our collection. And that's something they worked together to do as a group. They bought them and then they donated them to our museum. And there's Ken Hubbard sitting on his porch in Irvington. And this, if you drive by this little park, um, I think that's on Emerson. Don't quote me on that. Is it? Thank you. We added the, the cartoon because working with the parks department, nobody, a lot of people didn't really know who Ken Hubbard was or why is there that park. It's across the street from where his house was, but we added the cartoon so people could help make the connection of what that is. So that was, that was fun. So we get to do other things in the community outside of our museum too. Any other questions about the museum or collections or exhibits or? Yes. What is, the, <clears throat> what is one of the things that people find most interesting when they visit the museum? What do people find most interesting when they visit the museum? So that's the challenge, one, of making exhibits because everybody is interested in different so, things, right? People have different backgrounds. They're different ages. They may have lived in Irvington for 40 years. They may have never been to Irvington before. So part of the challenge is to take topics from history that are related to the east side of Indianapolis, but help people connect them to their own lives or to modern things that are happening. That's hard to do, right? <laughs> um, so we try to just have a variety of topics and exhibits. We try to have those two galleries that change out about every three months so that there's maybe the current exhibit doesn't appeal to you, but maybe the next one will. And it's not all just history like reading something in a book. It's seeing how a family lived, or how things have changed over time, or how people supported each other in the community, or 
what even buildings or architecture that has changed. So history can encompass almost everything, science, art, architecture, um, and, and social issues. Yes? Have, uh, has someone ever tried to buy something in the museum from you guys? I'm sure there's always someone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and of course, it wasn't for sale. <laughs> but as a museum that you know needs to continually fundraise, we do have fundraisers or markets or events where we do sell things. Sometimes there are things like the current art show of contemporary artists. Some of those pieces are for sale. So the artist would sell their piece and earn money for that. But we would also get a portion of that to help support our museum. Sometimes people donate things. I talked about how they could donate objects or artifacts or items. Maybe you have an old china set and you're moving and now you don't want that china set. Don't everybody give us china sets. But <laughs> someone might say, I would like to give you this to your museum so that you can sell it to raise more money for your museum. So sometimes people donate things to us for us to sell. But for the most part, things in a museum are not for sale. Yes? Have you ever been donated any type of like antique instruments? Instruments. We do have some instruments. I don't know if we've used any of them in the in current exhibits. We did have a holiday exhibit where we showed some things people might have gotten as holiday presents and we did have some instruments in that um, last year. And I believe we have some drums and things like that. But um, yeah, that would be another thing that would be part of people's daily lives that brought enjoyment to a community or showed off their skills. And that would be a fun thing to have in a museum exhibit. Has some of the um, people that came to visit have broken artifacts? Oh, does anything ever get broken by visitors? Hopefully not. Um, I can't think of any of a visitor that's ever broken something while visiting. I'm sure it has happened at some point. But that's something the museum has to help plan for. So if you've ever seen a place where they put a stanchion around something, the ropes, so that it kind of blocks off so maybe you stand a little farther back from something. Or we have to put things that are really fragile or breakable in a, in a locked case, a glass case or some kind of case so that you can see it, but you can't tip it over or touch it, right? So that's part of the challenge of making exhibit, um, making things so that they can be shown without being destroyed, for sure. Uh, what's the most valuable item there? Oh my gosh, probably the building itself. Um, it's the building's 120 years old, so that is probably our biggest asset. As far as one, I would say some of the art it would be valuable. The same artist that you can see in the Newfields Art Museum here in Indianapolis, we have some of those same artists, the paintings in our collection. So the art would be the most valuable. And value is, by a couple, is determined by a couple things, right? It could be what's most valuable to you. It could be what's most valuable because somebody's willing to pay money for it. It could be what's most valuable because there aren't any others like it. So if it's the only one left of something, it could be valuable. Um, so as we have not a lot of space, we also have to be careful about what we collect. So it has to have value of some kind, whether it's rare, whether it tells a story, 
whether it's something we would use in an exhibit. So there are times where somebody might want to donate something to us, which is generous and kind, and we appreciate that, but we might actually say, thank you very much, but we already have one of those in our collection, or thank you, but that's just not something that would help us tell our story. Well, if it's not from this general area, like, let's say someone wants to donate an antique heart from, like, the 1800s. So if someone wanted to donate something to um, us that wasn't really from the Irvington area or Indiana or the east side, Probably we would say thank you, but we wouldn't put that in our collection just because we don't have a lot of space, unless it is something that was similar to a piece that would have been in Irvington, and then that's possible. Yes? Uh, what's your favorite artifact? What is my favorite artifact? I actually like the old maps, because the more we look at the old maps, the more information I learn. I like to always learn something. So um, one thing is that when I moved to Irvington from looking at past census records, I knew that I had prior generations of my family that had lived in Irvington. And first when I went to the Historical Society and I was very excited and I said, can you help me figure out where my family lived in 1880 in Irvington? And the executive director who has done t years and years of research said, well, no, we can't tell you exactly where they lived because in 1880 in Irvington, people didn't really have house addresses the way we have addresses now. All their mail went to the post office, which was at the railroad depot. So your address was just, my address would have been Ann Hardwick, Irvington. <laughs> so there's not a record of where my family actually lived in 1880. But then from an 1889 map, one of the other volunteers was able to help me find my ancestor's name on the map showing where they lived because he had a house that was by the railroad and for whatever reason, his was labeled when some others weren't. So for me, I was able to at least find one person using a map and that's how I learned more about the neighborhood but also about my own family. So in 2020, or yes, in 2022, yes, we had a huge celebration at our museum, which was so fun for us. And that was the 100 year anniversary of the sorority Sigma Gamma Rho. So Sigma Gamma Rho was the first black sorority that was founded at a college that was not a predominantly black school. And in 1922, a group of women founded Sigma Gamma Rho at Butler when Butler was in Irvington. And they contacted us because they were getting ready to celebrate their 100 years. So working with their conference that they were having in Indianapolis, we were able to do a whole exhibit to help celebrate their 100 years. And they were able to visit the, what's left of the campus of where their founders would have met. It was founded by a group of educators and school teachers, so they weren't all currently students at the time when they founded it, but they all had a connection and would have met there and had meetings as well as meeting in other places in Indianapolis. But that was a great way for us to interact with the community, for their group to learn more of their own history and for us to meet lots of amazing people, but also learn more history ourselves and further our research.
to create that exhibit and about the founders of their sorority. So we had thousands of people visiting our museum. I have a question. Yes. So uh, out of all the exhibits you've seen some so far, what are some of like the most interesting ones you, you guys say you've had there? Well, that would be the one that I created because I created it, right? No. Um, I wanted to help other people learn how to research history. And so I tried to make an exhibit that if you wanted to research your own family, what, where would you start or what would you look for? So I kind of did 10 different stations of how you could research using artifacts that we had in our collection as well. Um, so things like you could look up city directories or you could look at school photos or you could look for documents or family photos. Anyway, that was fun because I got to kind of take a message and share that with other people in a way that they could maybe do more research on their own. We, ha we had an interesting exhibit from the Thompson family where a quilt that was made by the family members at the time um, when Bona Thompson would have been living was displayed and we were able to share more information about their family. They're the ones that donated the land and the money for our building to exist. So that's called a crazy quilt where lots of scraps were put together and that was a style that was famous. But it allowed us to tell their story and display a quilt that the public would have never seen. Otherwise, that's part of the private family's collection. So they loaned that to us for the exhibit. Have you ever heard of any of the past exhibits that have been there before? Yes. So like before you got there? Um, like I said, they, the exhibits in the two main rooms change about every three months. So we would have at least three or four exhibits every year. And I mean, they've covered all kinds of topics over the years. Another one I really liked was um, about suffragists and women fighting to change the law to be able to vote. That was a really nice exhibit. We had an old voting machine from that was probably from the 1960s, so after women could vote. But just telling different stories about what people did. How did you get into the whole history aspect of the of like how did you get into like the whole aspect of like museum and stuff like were you just did you like history from the start or did you gain an interest in it over on like when I was in college I did an internship at the Children's Museum of Indianapolis and then after that I added more classes so that I could double major and then I got a part-time job at the museum while I was still a student then I worked for over a decade at the museum and got my master's degree in education and museum studies. Um, and then I've gone on to do other jobs totally unrelated to that. But volunteering at a museum allows me to use some of my skills, give back to my community, keep learning new things, meet other fun people, and share more information with people. So it really started from an internship for me, but I kept doing it because I like to learn new information. You are talking about how it can only be open when people are during that specific time for internships. Uh, what are the requirements for being able to be an intern at uh, this museum? So because we're only open on weekends, usually if someone is an intern with us, they are in IUPUI's museum studies program because they have a whole program just of museum studies students. 
and then they have a specific project with their instructor that they have to complete and then they do come in they can come in during the weekdays to complete their specific project and that's usually for a semester long so if you weren't a if you weren't a student in that program and you wanted to be an intern you might be more of we have volunteers that come in every weekend. Oh, but that's more, yeah, volunteering, just being able to help with uh, the museum. Yeah, we have, we love volunteers. We always need volunteers. They learn new information and help share it with visitors or just greet people as they come in or they can help plan future exhibits. Uh, can anybody do that or is there like an age requirement or something like that or? If you can get yourself to the museum and you have a love of history and you're willing to help us do something for our museum, we can find something for you to do to volunteer. Uh, do you know a way of being able to reach out to say that you want to volunteer? Yes, if you go to our website and you can contact us and just say you'd like to be a volunteer, that way we'll have your phone and your email and, and I'll probably be the one contacting you back. Okay. Thank you. So these are just some things. Um, one of our exhibits focused on powerful women from the neighborhood. So one person that most people might not have heard of is Gertrude Mahorny. And she was the first African-American woman to graduate from a college in Indiana. We have her portrait framed in our lobby and she did um, get her degree from Butler University. So this is something we like to highlight for, so people can learn more information. Another person is Grace Julian Clark. Her father owned a large brick home in Irvington and he was a politician, but she was a suffragist and helped to fight for women to be able to vote. So he has his own story, but she has her own story as well because her father had money, she was able to spend her time helping other people to get the right to vote. Lots of, lots of research has been done on her, not even just by us. Her collection, her records, I believe are in the State Museum, the State Library. Um, look up Grace Julian Clark collection if, if you're interested in that. Her papers have all been made available digitally. And then I kind of talked about the house histories. So a lot of people are interested in what their house looked like prior. So this is just another thing that we researched. So this one had interior inside pictures of the house. So someone that lived at 59 North Hawthorne that was interested might not have ever seen these pictures but might be able to learn more about their house from our collections. I'll pass these books around too just as an example. One thing that the museum does is publish books I'm not trying to sell you any books, I'm just trying to show you some examples of them. So this is another way that we share information the, about the neighborhood. I was gonna say too that several of our volunteers have become interested. Uh, the Anderson Cemetery is on 10th Street east of Arlington. So as a way to give back to the community and learn more information as well, we've been cleaning some of the gravestones but what's interesting to me about as we do that, a lot of people might think it's sad to be in a cemetery, but we're learning something every time we go there. So each stone that we clean, then we look up information about that family 
and um, try to document that. One of the women was Lucy McLean Hunter, and her gravestone itself isn't interesting at all. It just says Lucy Hunter and her birth and death dates. She died in 1888. If you try to research women from the 1800s, there usually is not a lot of information available. We look at census records, we look at newspaper articles, not a lot of detail in most newspaper articles. But she not only had an interesting story, but we were able to find a lot of information about her, which was fun for us, but then we felt like we could document her story as well. So when we search, if you're searching Lucy Hunter, that's kind of a common name. And we search for obituaries to try to learn more, get more details. And my colleague found an obituary from Washington, D.C. for 1888 for Lucy Hunter. And initially, we would have thought, mm, that's not the right person. But it was the right person. The obituary included her mom's name. So we were able to prove that it was her and keep researching. And thank goodness we did instead of just skipping over that. And thank goodness that he broadened his search when nothing came up in Indianapolis initially. Because she owned a circulating library in Washington, D.C., a block from the White House. So one, I learned, what is a circulating library? That wasn't something I was familiar with. So now we have public libraries, and you can go to the library and get information. In the 1880s, public libraries didn't exist or didn't exist in all cities. So she had actually started a library in Baltimore, but then Mr. Pratt gave money to start a public library in Baltimore, so that essentially put her out of business. So she moved her circulating library to Washington, D.C., and now you might pay a subscription to Netflix every month to watch movies. Well, in the 1880s in Washington, D.C., you could pay a subscription to Lucy Hunter's circulating library and borrow books from her library. So she had the largest circulating library in Washington, D.C. She had over 3,000 books. And she advertised her library in the paper almost daily. <laughs> so we were able to know what year she was there, what the address was. And we just kept searching for more information about her. Um, we found that her husband owned a boot and shoe store on Washington Street in Indianapolis for several years. But she was really fun to research and find out about her owning a business. For a woman to own a business in the 1880s would have been a pretty big deal. And it was obviously popular. She had the largest library in Washington, D.C. But then her, when she died, her mom did bring her back to be buried here in Indianapolis. So we, we had a great time just uncovering information. And that's where, res if you can find resources online, which we found all that for free, um, was fun to us that we were able to keep discovering her story. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.